Welcome to the NCEA podcast. I'm your host today, Colleen McCoy-Sika, Director of Professional Learning for NCEA. Today's episode is sponsored by Frenzy, NCEA's silver partner. Frenzy provides a biblically-based social-emotional and academic development framework for K-8 classrooms that teaches skills like respect, confidence, problem-solving, communication, and critical thinking that helps students succeed in school and life. We know that relationships with educators are often a substantial asset when motivating students to re-engage with learning. Students with positive peer relationships also tend to have better attitudes about school and their academics. Across the U.S., students are experiencing unprecedented levels of mental health challenges following COVID. Frenzy provides tools to help them and the adults around them cope. We know students crave feeling accepted and valued, and they need strong connections with both their families and their teachers. My guests today are Joy Roberts and Julie Widman. Ladies, I want to welcome you to the podcast today. Hi, Colleen. It is so good to be able to join you and to jump into a conversation that I think is significant for all of us. So um, hello, listeners. I am Joy Roberts. I am one of the co-founders of the Frenzy program. Um, I'm passionate about this work. My uh, It really started back when uh, my kids were young. They're now young adults, 21, 23 years old, uh, living independently. Um, but really just this idea of connection and community. And so excited to jump into this conversation because we started in Catholic schools. Um, this work is incredibly relevant prior to the pandemic, but uh, continues to be even more relevant as we enter into this, this season that we find ourselves in. So excited to be here, Colleen. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thank you, Joy. And Julie, can you give a little background about yourself? Absolutely. Hi, Colleen, and hi, listeners, and all of the Frenzy family schools out there. I think first and foremost, we just want to say thank you for the work that you're doing in our schools, teaching and educating the whole child uh, with the heart to serve them, not only academically, but socially, emotionally, and spiritually. And so Colleen, Joy, and I, as co-founders of Frenzy, as Joy said, are just passionate about supporting and equipping not only classrooms and schools, but teachers, students, and their families with coping skills and the ability to really navigate the social landscape. We're seeing kids show up to school without the skills they need to make good friends, keep good friends, and build strong strong communities. And so we're just really excited to be able to continue this work within the NCA network of schools. Excellent. Well, your work is definitely important, significant, and needed. So today's topic uh, for the podcast, so important. The prevalence of adolescent mental health was taking precedence even before the pandemic. And now we are seeing a mental health crisis impacting even our youngest of school children. So Ladies, let's start with some data. From a statistical perspective, what do the numbers tell us about mental health of children, both pre-pandemic and post-pandemic? How, how do they compare? What's the story that the data is telling us? Well, the data is, is truthfully kind of depressing in itself. You know, when we look at uh, just a snapshot of COVID, we look at 2020, 2020 and the mental health claims for teens increased by 97%. 
Uh, 70% of students actually say now that anxiety and depression is a major problem among their peers. I just spoke with a principal uh, last weekend and she shared a story of trying to really support all students uh, right now through this problem and she shared that she has a 14 year old who is sleeping with her cell phone because she has friends who are experiencing suicidal ideation and her friends are texting her. And that is just too much for a 14 year old to handle. What we know is that through the pandemic, a lot of students lost the connection to adults in their lives that were providing support. So not only did they um, have measures that reduced in-person interactions with their friends, but also with all the social supports, meaning for all those professionals that were surrounding them to help them navigate hard things like teachers, school counselors, pediatricians, youth pastors. And so this, this challenge has really grown. It, as you said, Colleen, it was there before, but it's ever present right now. Mm -hmm. um, it is heavy and, and looking at the, at the data specifically on uh, suicide attempts in our students mm -hmm. are up 51% in the oh, last goodness. year for uh, girls and 4% for adolescent boys. And, and it hits home. I was um, mm -hmm. coming back from a meeting yesterday and opened up my email from a principal wanting to um, look at putting emotional competency framework into his school and he opened up the conversation by saying that they had an eighth grader uh, who committed suicide and so that came out of out of the blue they didn't see it coming it was unexpected and so as schools like looking at the data we can look at the data mm -hmm. but the data gets really real when we start talking about the actual lives and people that it's impacting um, I don't want to leave it on this heavy uh, piece because when you look at the data and there's 50 years of research looking back and mm -hmm. at distress and uh, trauma and we can bounce back. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the data shows that um, even amidst really heavy despair and, and distress that we have an ability to be resilient and to bounce back. And so I, I want to say this is recoverable. Mm -hmm. And so data has has shown us that we're having a problem, but historic data also tells us that there is opportunity to recover uh, from this. And so I think that's what we really wanna talk about today is how can we be part of the solution that we're finding ourselves in, in this really critical and heavy time. And so I think it's important that we talk about it so that we can also consider what action steps that we can take in order to be part of the solution. Absolutely. Excellent. Yeah. You know, I have two teenage boys and so um, their their lives are so very different from the teenage life that I had. And actually one of my sons commented the other night that um, he just doesn't even see himself dating girls because they're all depressed. Those were, those are <laughs> from the word, from a, a 17 year old boy's mouth. I, I can't even date girls. They're all depressed. Is it, how sad is that? I just, I, I can't imagine it's, their lives are so different from, from the life that I had. Well, what, so, what he's really talking about is that that depression and anxiety symptoms actually doubled during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So he is absolutely right. I think 
as educators, as adults, there's this call to society to create change, to take Mm -hmm. actionable steps, to recognize it and respond. Yeah. In my household, we talk a lot about how mental health and physical health are, are very connected. And so we're, we're very focused on that in my house. So let's, let's um, talk a little bit about um, some of the attributes to what do you attribute the increase in mental health challenges in children? And then we can kind of talk about those responses. Sure. I mean, off the bat, we had a extreme point of separation from society. There was you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, there were lockdowns and quarantines. And so immediately there was this massive change that occurred um, without without uh, warning, really. And so a lot of students experienced trauma from just a complete disruption in their daily routines. Uh, all of those things that provided, as you said, the exercise, physical well-being, mental well-being, mm-hmm. those connections with their peers abruptly stopped. And then over the course of the last two years, slowly um, have kind of come back. But as we talk to schools, you know, the only thing consistent has been the inconsistency, <laughs> meaning, yeah. you know, masks, no masks, um, in school, out of school. And so all of those changes have really contributed to um, the rise in these mental health challenges. 140,000 students lost loved ones during the last two years. Um, wow. Parents have lost jobs. There has been economic turmoil. Uh, and really, <clears throat> our students are echoing the culture. There is challenges in the adult in terms of division and divisiveness in our adult world. And our students feel that and echo it in our classrooms. So the school personnel, uh, classroom teachers and, and school leaders have been affected by the increase in, in children's mental health issues. So how do you see that teachers and principals have been impacted by the phenomenon as well? Um, I, when, when we think about the, the classroom setting and, and talking to educators specifically, we've actually been able to get back into the classrooms, which has been such a gift and a blessing to actually yeah. get to see our teachers. And at, we actually got to go in and sit in a classroom and, and watch students engage um, and, and meeting with principals regularly. And what we're hearing, the impact is that and this is really fascinating about Catholic schools. I think we've done a fantastic job pivoting. I think mm-hmm. we've done a fantastic job adjusting and finding innovative solutions in an incredibly difficult time. Um, and I think now as the dust is kind of settling, we're realizing, wow, there are some underlying issues that we need to address. And so what we're hearing from teachers is that students are coming into their classroom and they don't have the relationship skills they need to navigate. They're not looking each other in the eye. Their sentences are really short. They're having a hard time holding a dialogue and a, and a conversation. Um, there's a lot of uh, chaos and um, energy where students just don't have the skills they need to function in, in a context of a classroom setting. They're not 
they've lost practice over the last two years as we've made these adjustments and as we've made these changes with social distancing and masks and you know um, even our schools that have stayed open we've had protocols and adjustments in how we engage and so I think uh, classroom management is really challenging and so I think as adults um, and I think it's important to recognize that what we're seeing in our students is a reflection of what's yes. happening in us as adults. It's just mirroring out in our children and in our students. And so I think our, our teachers have been experiencing that um, and then trying to navigate the emotions and the challenges that they're facing with students. And so I think it's a little, uh, it's coming to where the rubber meets the road of saying, okay, we need to put some framework in to equip our students right now in this season so that we can get classroom management challenges down so that we can begin to more fully engage in the process of teaching. Because right now teaching is challenging because emotions yes. are so big. And Colleen, it's so multifaceted. The teachers are coming back in, seeing this learning loss and this gap in, in learning. And there's this pressure to teach, to uh, help students regain what was lost. And yet there's all these barriers to learning because students are hurting. And so all those barriers like Joy just shared with the classroom disruption, sadness, inability to navigate and, and deal with students' emotions are causing a barrier to learning. And so teachers and, and schools are feeling the stress and, and pressure to help their students gain back what academically was lost. And yet so much of the challenge is, is this mental health, mental wellness barrier that really stands in the way for academic learning. Yeah, absolutely. A stressed brain cannot learn. So, right. So how, so how can we help the students to relieve some of that stress so that they can move past the emotion? It's, it's really finding that balance between the thinking brain and the feeling brain and helping students to be able to recognize when they are caught in a cycle of emotion, if they're responding with emotion, or if we can, okay, let's, let's diffuse that so that we can, can do the learning, so that we can do the thinking. And I think you're absolutely right. When it comes to the, the pressure on teachers to, all right, let's go. We've got all these learning gaps. We've got to address these learning gaps. We've got to focus on achievement when really what we have to do first is um, try to read the behaviors of the students because behaviors are communication. Figure out what it is that they're communicating to us so that we can respond to whatever their emotional need is so that we can shift to the thinking brain and to be able to put structures in place in the classroom because you're right that that structured, safe, predictable classroom space is where things are going to get done. So. Um, it, Right? I, I mean, absolutely. That... Yes. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm wanting to give you a standing ovation right now because <laughs> Stop. Stop. Colleen, what you're really talking about is this idea that these skills are teachable and yes. they, mm -hmm. when we proactively teach skills that help students remain in what I like to call the boss brain, that, that part mm -hmm. of the brain that allows for them to 
navigate hard things and use logic and reasoning and control their emotions when we when we give them skills to calm and deregulate and and self-regulate uh, they can access that that learning part of the brain which it's that prefrontal cortex is what you're really it talking is. about and yes. the reality is is that that prefrontal cortex sadly is going to develop from 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 early on all the way into 25 if you're a boy. And so um, teachers yeah. have the ability to help navigate and create an environment, just like you said, that's safe and supportive so that when students get out of that boss brain and they go into the lizard brain or the, the hind brain where all emotions are just present, teachers can actually guide their students back to a place of reasoning by yeah. calm, by uh, reasoning and honestly we talk about this stress and I think what what we know is that stress is contagious research shows that stress contagion is incredibly real and so teachers are feeling the stress of their students but the reality and the good news is that calm is also contagious. And so as we support our social emotional health of our teachers, as we increase their competencies to be self-aware, to have responsible decision-making, to be self-managers and socially aware, we actually can um, create modeling in the classroom so that students are pre-equipped so that they have tools in their toolbox to reach to when they find themselves flipping their lid, as we say, or getting out of that boss brain. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the th what you're what you're making me think of recently. I've I've worked with a couple of different um, groups of faculty in in small Catholic schools here in Arizona, and we've been talking a lot about executive functioning skills. And, and that is exactly what you're talking about. And if, you know, that's one place where, where teachers and principals can go, you know, do a little bit of research on executive functions because, and I'm not even talking about executive functioning disorders. I'm just talking about ways that we can help children to be organized and to think about structure and to be self-regulated and all of that. So really modeling and um, and learning about the way we can incorporate executive function education into the classroom. And, and I hear you talking about that as well. Well, Colleen, that is like when we think about executive function, we're talking about self-management, mm -hmm. students mm -hmm. being able to set and achieve goals, be able to have delayed gratification, um, being able to deregulate or co-regulate, self-regulate, all, of those, things, um, all yeah. of those emotions, yeah. emotional pieces, which is why when you think of emotional competency skills, and again, emotional competency skills can be taught, they're learnable uh, by students, they can be engaged into the classroom every day, but these, the foundation of that is starting with self-awareness, so really helping students identify emotions why? So that they can then self-manage those emotions and make responsible decisions and choices. And then ultimately, I think when we talk about the mental health crisis, like where is this coming from? Well, one of the key components is we're having relational breakdown. We're having relational breakdown uh, with students between their peers. We've had relational breakdown with, with teachers. Um, and when we look at the recovery, it's going to be re-engaging students in in healthy relationships and, and strong communities with their peers, with their teachers, with the faith community. I mean, mm -hmm. faith is such a vital component. When we look at 
um, where we're at, where students are feeling hopeless, when they're feeling um, isolated and alone, the faith component and being anchored in hope is absolutely critical for recovery and for being a stopgap in the mental health crisis that we're seeing. And so that's why when you think about Catholic schools and the work that we're doing, it is exponentially important in this season and I believe in Catholic schools we're going to see a season of growth as um, parents and families are longing and again this is what the Catholic school <laughs> schools have been doing so well caring for the whole child for decades and decades building a sense of belonging and community and that is going to be the foundation of helping students recover from trauma and loss that we've experienced in the last couple of years. Yeah, so let, let's talk a little bit more about that. So absolutely, in Catholic schools, we have done this forever. We have helped children to realize that they are a gift from God, that they have special gifts and qualities that make them unique, that to, to try as best we can, um, you know, through all the stages of life to get them to uh, you know, appreciate that they have been created to do something important here on earth, created by God as children of God. So um, that being said, we need to put, we need to reemphasize that, I think, as we're moving forward. We've always done it, but now we really need to be um, very intentional, intentional about making sure that that really, you know, uh, becomes the forefront of what we're doing when it comes to social emotional health and spirituality and intertwining those things. So what else are you seeing? What makes Catholic schools stand apart when it comes to mental health and social emotional care of all students? Are you seeing anything, um, you know, unique in that? Well, I mean, I think what's really unique about Catholic schools is that it's always been believed that school is the center for human formation. And so from its existence, we have believed that we're teaching not only academically, but socially, emotionally, and spiritually. And so um, we can see in God's word from Genesis to Revelations that we were not created to be alone, that we were created for community, hardwired for relationship. And the Catholic school and, and educators who are called into that teaching and, and that leading and shepherding of students' lives are really um, able to provide prayer and grace, guidance, guidance for their students to help in that human formation. And so it is with extreme excitement that we see growth in the Catholic schools, that we see investment in that whole child in the Catholic schools, because it's the place where kids can feel known and seen and heard and a place of belonging. Mm -hmm. I, I always say that, I mean, we have this new language that we're using called social emotional learning character <laughs> development. Um, but really it's, it's what we've been doing in, in Catholic schools, as we've both all mentioned for decades, and that is addressing the whole child. Um, so I think this new language is important. I think, um, Catholic schools, like the strength of Catholic schools is that there's a framework to hold social and emotional learning and character development. Uh, one of, one of the, the strengths of Catholic schools, I think, is that they can lean back on are the virtue program. Mm -hmm. um, I've been having conversations with Sister John Dominic, and she has a phenomenal uh, virtues program that, again, is 
the basis of not only learning emotional competency skills, but how do we put those into practice? So again, um, when we talk about social and emotional learning and character development, we're, we're really talking about um, teaching God's design for healthy relationships and strong communities. So when we're unpacking um, with the Frenzy program and structure, what we're unpacking is how do we live out these emotional competency skills? And they're always done in community, in the context of relationship and community. And so we're not just... Uh, gaining emotional competency skills, we're actually meant to use them in relationship with others. And so in our classrooms, we always say they're like Petri dishes, yeah. <laughs> where students get to learn. Again, these skills are teachable when you think of the five competencies of emotional intelligence. Um, when you think of those skills, they're teachable, they're learnable. And so when you teach students those skills in the context of a classroom, they students get to then immediately put those skills into practice. So they get to play them out in the classroom as they learn to cooperate, work through conflict, um, learn how to stand in line <laughs> to go to recess. They get to yeah. practice these skills on the playgrounds and in the lunchrooms or what we call the hot zones of the school. And so um, there's really a foundation and a place for that to be practiced in school. And Colleen, when you talk back at that neurobiology, when we look at students who get to learn and then immediately practice, that is what is creating those those new pathways in the brain to be strengthened. And so if we have an anxious child who is automatically going into that anxious part of their brain because they're super highways of, of neuro connection, when we teach and then we practice and we reinforce in the structure of the school, those areas of the brain are strengthened. And so the students actually can now have new skills to lean back in and utilize during times of stress and challenge. Yeah, yep. You know, listening to you talk about the integration of social emotional, uh, the social emotional uh, health framework and the virtues program. Um, Several years ago, this is really interesting. This is where my brain went. Um, several years ago, I was working on the um, standards, the academic standards for health and PE here in the Diocese of Phoenix. We were reworking all of the standards uh, for uh, K through eight PE and health. And we integrated social emotional aspects and the virtues program into the standards for health and PE. And when you think about, you know, anxious, anxious children, um, kind of, they struggle in those unstructured uh, moments during the course of the school day. And sometimes PE class can be, an, it feels like an unstructured place sometimes. It feels, you know, uh, because they're not in, in the safe space of the classroom. And so we really felt like that was a place where we could build in structure of practicing the virtues and integrating social emotional learning and so you know just listening to you talk about that we we did it you know in health and pe and and it really and there are a couple of schools you know here in phoenix it, it's in every um you know every piece of the curriculum um which is fantastic yes it's, it's every day all day long yes right? we like to say yeah. that in its ideal form it's in every fiber of the fabric of teaching and yes. i love that you used it in your physical education classes we've had 
schools utilize games and activities in the same way to really practice and strengthen those social emotional skills. We had one uh, school do a hoopathon, and they <laughs> instead of having competition uh, through the hoopathon, they utilized the catchphrase "teamwork makes the dream work," <laughs> and they actually earned and raised more money than they ever had before because instead of being competitors, all the students were cheering for each other, being excited for each other, and, and really echoing out this catchphrase, teamwork makes the dream work, which is rooted in God's word. Absolutely. And this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to raise each other up for a common mission, for a common goal. It is not supposed to be competitive. That is not how we raise each other up. So uh, I, I love that. That is, that's a fantastic way to, to kind of round out the conversation, I think. Um, I, I actually really look forward to seeing both of you in New Orleans. I know that you will both be presenting at convention, I believe. Um, at least I know Frenzy's going to have a presence there. So can you give uh, you know, like a quick overview of what you'll be talking about there? What can attendees expect to, uh, to learn from you? What, what are you going to bring to the table at convention? Um, we have a riveting and very <laughs> fun topic <laughs> called how to have hard conversations. And so, Ooh, I know. Right. Um, it is going to be fantastic because when you think about this moment that we're in where there's so much um, polarization, there's so much, there's so many differing perspectives as we enter into conversations. And again, we're just coming off of, do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? You know, how do I feel about the vaccine, not the vaccine. And so we have all of these hot topics that continue to erupt in society at large that definitely trickle into the classroom. And so how, and so the root of our conversation on how to have hard conversations is really about how do we set our classrooms up for success? How do we set our classrooms proactively up to weather hard conversations and challenges? And so really giving some really practical structure that we can put in place as educators in our classrooms to really support our students and our parent connections. Because I think as Catholic schools, it's not just us individually, it's how we engage with our parents. We want our parents engaged in the learning process and part yeah. of that conversation. And so we're gonna get really practical on a topic that is very real and authentic um, and really be equipping us as a community to engage in hard conversations in a way that has very positive outcomes. That's fantastic. Well, I really look forward to that. Um, I, I want to thank both of you so much for great conversation today. Um, many thanks to Joy Roberts and Julie Widman of Frenzy for joining me today. And I also want to thank, thank your company um, just for your continued support of Catholic schools and your partnership with NCEA. It, it means a lot. The work you're doing is so important. So thank you so much. Thank Absolutely. you, Colleen. Thank you. Until next time, and we will see you in, in New Orleans. Yes. Absolutely. Thank you to the listeners for joining us for another NCEA podcast, and we hope to see you in New Orleans, too. Have a great day.